Welcome to the sermon podcast of Southside Baptist Church, a body of Christ located in beautiful Norman Park, Georgia. We are so glad you chose to listen in today. It's our prayer you would find the message of Jesus Christ compelling and uplifting, and that your life would be changing continually from hearing the Word of God. If you would like more information about our church or would like more digital content, please feel free to check us out on the web at southsidenp.org. And now for today's message. In your English translated version of Scripture this morning, thank God for that, to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, be reading from verses 10 through 13 this morning. I was really struck, Ryan and Alyssa, by the passage, John 14, 6 there, when you said in Australia they don't use the word but. They don't have a, there's no no translation for that. And I, I, I took that out of there and it read like this, no one comes to the Father through me. Well, how do you come to the Father if you don't come through Christ? I mean, it's just, you know, it's it's... Without that, I mean, it, it, that, thank you for what you do, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> thank you for what you do. And the translations, that's important, church. It's important for us uh, and all. So, again, Philippians chapter 4, verses uh, 10 through 13. We're going to talk about contentment this morning. Something that I think is lacking in our society, maybe lacking in our lives, but true contentment. I want to talk about true contentment. And true contentment, church, can only be found in one place. And it's found in Jesus Christ. And so Paul talks about that in this passage here to the church there at Philippi. So if you would stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word this morning. Again, Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. Paul writes this. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. But that I am speaking, but not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. And in any of every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Father God, we come to you again this morning as we prepare to unpack your word this morning, Lord. I pray again that uh, it's not my words, but yours uh, this morning, Lord. I pray that we understand that only true contentment, Christian contentment, can only come through one place, and that's through Christ, and that's through relationship with Jesus, Lord. Father, I thank you for this opportunity, Lord, and I thank you for those who will hear this message, your message this morning, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Let me ask you this morning this question, what is contentment? Well, Webster's Dictionary defines contentment this way, it's a state of happiness or a state of satisfaction. Now, that's certainly a great state to be in. It's obviously a good state to be happy. It's a good state to be satisfied all the time. But for most, the reality is that's not the reality. The reality is that we are not happy. We are not 
satisfied all the times. In fact, I would argue that contentment is an elusive virtue. In fact, if I were to ask for a show of hands this morning, and I'm not going to, but if I were to ask for a show of hands this morning of those of you who are truly content in their lives, I imagine the hands that would go up would be few. Would be very few. Why is that? Well, the reason I think is because we don't know what true contentment is. We don't understand what true contentment is. Because most of us think that true contentment comes from our circumstances. It comes from our situations and the things that we find ourselves in. I mean, think about the cell phone as an example. That little device that most of us have. We're content with that cell phone until what? The next cell phone comes out. Then we want the newest, the latest and greatest thing. We might be happy and satisfied with our health as it currently is, our current health condition, until that latest round of blood work comes out. And then we're no longer happy. We're no longer content. You and I might be satisfied. We might be happy with our current relationship. Until that other guy or that other girl turns us down. Or until that other guy or that other girl does something that we don't, does not make us happy and does not satisfy us. We base contentment on our act. The, the, the point is this. We have the wrong idea about contentment. We base contentment on our activity. We base contentment on people. We base contentment on our possessions. That's not what true contentment is. That's not where we find contentment. I'll tell you this morning that true contentment, again, can only come through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where true contentment comes from. And for Paul, Paul understood what true contentment was. Paul understood that it didn't come from his activity. He understood that it didn't come from his possessions. Paul had nothing. Paul was in prison. He was on house arrest, changed to a Roman guard. Paul knew exactly the source of his contentment. He knew that contentment could only be found in Christ. Paul was extremely happy about the Philippian believers. He was extremely concerned about them as well. Remember, he wrote uh, this letter of joy. He wrote to encourage the Philippian believers. He wrote with joy in his heart. Paul was thankful. He was thankful for their support of his ministry. He was thankful that they had revived that opportunity to support him in his ministry. But here he switches gears a bit. He moves away from what he's just been talking about. Remember, he's talking about giving these exhortations. He's telling the Philippian believers they need to stand firm. He's telling them that they need to rejoice in the Lord always. But he switches gears a bit here. Paul probably understood that there was a lack of contentment at the church there in Philippi. If you remember, that church was a fledgling church. Paul had started that church when he visited Philippi. We'll talk about that in a moment. They were a young church. They were beginning to face persecution. And so Paul writes here and he says, listen, true contentment. And here's your point this morning. Paul learned that true contentment is found only in a life that's sold out to service to Jesus Christ. And for us as believers, church, we can only find true contentment when we live a life sold out service to Christ. So let's flesh this passage out this morning. We're going to see three ideas about true contentment, true Christian contentment 
this morning. And that can be only be found in Christ alone. So number one, to have true Christian contentment, we must understand this. That true contentment is found in God's providence. True contentment is found in God's providence. Now, a considerable amount of time has passed since Paul had ministered there in Philippi. Remember, Paul had went to Philippi and he had met those ladies. He had met Lydia and the other ladies outside. And basically, that's where that church in Philippi had started. Paul had been for his of while he was there. The Philippians had given to Paul graciously for his ministry. They had supported his ministry. However, Paul was no longer in Philippi. He was no longer there, and they were no longer able to support Paul in his ministry. Paul had left. He had went to Thessalonica. He had went to Berea. He had went to Achaia and the areas of Athens and Corinth. So up until this point, Paul had not been financially supported by the Philippians. They had no opportunity to support Paul. Now, Epaphroditus has brought Paul a financial gift, and we see that here in, in, in Philippians. Paul is writing a basically a thank you letter. But think about it. There was no United States Postal Service. There was no UPS in Paul's day. There was no FedEx. Facebook and Twitter were not around. Instagram wasn't there. Paul couldn't email Anybody or they couldn't email Paul. So getting a message or even getting financial support was difficult to say the least. And Paul knew that they were concerned for him. Paul understood that that church was concerned for him. They knew that they wanted to support. Paul knew that they wanted to support him, yet they had no real opportunity because Paul was gone. He was no longer around. He was no longer in Philippi, but that all changed. Look at verse 10. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Paul understood that they were concerned for him. Paul knew that this church there in Philippi was concerned for him. They knew, he knew that they, they wanted to support his ministry, but they had no opportunity they were not able to send him financial gifts until now. Epaphroditus has brought Paul a generous gift, probably a financial gift, from the believers there in Philippi. And Paul was grateful. Paul was grateful for this gift. In fact, Paul and Barnabas are probably the two first missionaries that we have in Scripture. They were sent off, Paul and Barnabas were, as missionaries. And they were grateful. Paul was grateful for this gift. He rejoiced greatly that they had been able to continue their support. But we can't lose sight of the implication here. The implication of Paul's words here are that regardless of whether or not the Philippians were able to get that gift to the Apostle Paul, regardless of whether that financial gift came, Paul was content with the providences of God. Paul understood that God was going to protect him. Paul understood that God was going to care for him. Paul was confident in the providence of God. Now, theologian Millard Erickson, he defines providence this way, and this is important, so pay attention. It's a continuing action of God by which he preserves, he cares for, he maintains, he looks after in existence the creation which he has brought into being. And guides it to its intended purposes for it. For Paul, he understood God's providence. 
He understood that even though he had no way, the Philippians had no way to bring him a gift, even though that they had no way to do any of those things for him and support him in his ministry, God would support him. God would care for him. God would maintain him, maintain him. Why? Because God had a plan and a purpose for Paul and God would complete that plan or purpose for Paul. Think about it, Christian. Listen, God has a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us. Regardless of whether we're supported, regardless of whether we have the finances to do what we need to do, God will complete his intended plan and his purpose for our life. He will care for us. He will maintain us because that's his providence. Paul understood that. Paul knew that God had a plan and a purpose for his life. Paul knew that God would bring to completion that plan or and that purpose in Paul's life. Regardless. Revive what the Philippians were able to do. Now, Paul was, 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 was he was grateful that they were able to, to revive that concern. That would help his ministry even more. But Paul knew that God would provide exactly what he needed to fulfill his plan. Now, I want to caution us for a moment because I think we get our needs and our wants a little whopper jawed every once in a while. Whopper jawed, is that a word? That means that we get them out of whack. We get our needs and our wants out of whack. I'd imagine that Paul wanted more food in prison. Paul probably wanted steak instead of bologna. Or maybe he wanted filet mignon instead of ribeye. I'm sure that Paul may have wanted better circumstances. Remember, he was chained to a Roman soldier day in and day out. I'm sure Paul would have rather not been chained to a Roman soldier. He was on house arrest, so Paul probably wanted better circumstances. Paul may have wanted a more comfortable prison. He may have wanted a better cot to sleep on instead of the floor. He may have wanted better, comfortable sheets and comfortable pillows and all those other things. But regardless of what the Apostle Paul wanted, God gave Paul exactly what he needed. God sustained Paul through his providence. And God does the same for us. Regardless of what we think we want, our needs are being met. Think about this. God sent Joseph ahead to Egypt. To prepare for the food that the people would need during the time of great famine in the land. God's providence provided. Through Moses, the people of Israel were able to pass through the Red Sea on dry land. While the pursuing Egyptian army was swallowed up by the Red Sea. That was God's providence. God maintained the children of Israel. In the desert, God provided food and water for the Israelites. God's providence God provided for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the face of certain death in the fiery furnace. God provided. Their lives were spared. In fact, there wasn't the slightest bit of odor on their clothes when they came out of the fiery furnace. God provided for their needs. It was God's providence. God's providence. Ezra speaks of God's providence. In Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6, he says, You are the Lord. You alone, you have made heaven. The heaven of heavens with all their hosts. The earth and all that is on it. The seas and all that is in them. 
and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worship you. God did not create us, church, to simply turn us loose. He's not some aloof God that sets up there and has no interaction with His children, with His creation. God is intimately involved with His creation. His presence is with us. Thus, we need not fear. God will provide. He will meet our needs. It's like the sparrows. God's providence gives us confidence to trust in Him completely. And it's all for His glory and for our good. God's providence. We can have true Christian contentment because of God's providence. But Paul goes on to the second point this morning. He says, to have true Christian contentment, we must understand this, that true contentment transcends our problems. You got problems this morning? You got issues this morning? Well, Paul says true contentment, it transcends our problem. To transcend, it means to exist above. To be independent from, to rise above or surpass or succeed. Christian contentment, it's independent of our problem. It surpasses our situations and our circumstances. What do you mean, preacher? It means that our problems and our situations and our circumstances do not dictate whether we are content or not. What dictates our contentment is our relationship with Jesus Christ. Regardless of what you're facing, regardless of the problems and the situations that we face. Look at verse 11. Paul says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I am to be content. Now, Paul made it clear here that he was not in need. Paul needed nothing. He knew his needs were being met. God was meeting Paul's needs. He was grateful and rejoiced for the generous gift that the Philippians had sent him. But he didn't want the Philippians to think that he was in need. He didn't want the Philippians to think that, that, that he needed more money. So he told them, listen, I'm not in need. Why is he not in need? Because God was taking care of his needs. God's providence. In other words, Paul says, I am thankful for you, Philippians, that you have been able to revive your support for me. However, your support is not the source of my contentment. I I, I appreciate it. Thank you. But I'm content beyond that. It's not that. So this begs the question this morning, what was Paul exactly saying here? Well, Paul was saying this, regardless of my situation, regardless of my circumstances, That I find myself in. I am to be content. I am to be content. I will be content. So what does it mean to be content? Well we talked about contentment by the world standards. It states a happiness or satisfaction. But let me remind you of Paul's situation and Paul's circumstances. How many of you would be content under house arrest? You would be, I don't, I wouldn't. How many of you would be content relying on others to bring you your food to make it through the day? How many of you would be content in the situation and circumstances that Paul found himself in? Consider your current circumstances. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know the frustrations 
that you're dealing with. But how many of you would be content or are content in your current situations and your circumstances? How many of us have been content in the midst of this pandemic? How many of us have been content wondering where in the world our next meal would come from? Wondering how we were going to pay the bills for this month, let alone next month. So based on the world's definition, Webster's definition, a state of happiness and satisfaction. Listen, we're only content whenever we're in a state of happiness. We're only content whenever we're in a state of satisfaction. As soon as that state changes, what do we do? We're no longer content. So contentment here, the the contentment that Paul talks about, it says it translates as a self-sufficient, self-reliant, having enough and not being dependent on others. Now, let me caution you this morning. That self-sufficiency is in the sense that we are not relying on ourselves. But in Paul's case, we rely on who? We rely on Christ. We rely on Christ. Paul knew he didn't have to rely on himself because he was relying on Jesus regardless of what his situation and his circumstances were. He was relying on Christ. He knew Christ would provide for his needs. For Paul, it wasn't a self-sufficiency, but a Christ-sufficiency. For Paul, this, this sufficiency, this contentment, it grew out of an intimate walk with God. For Paul, it grew from the complete trust in the one that transcends our situations and our circumstances. Can I tell you this morning, church, that God is bigger than your circumstances and God is bigger than your situations. He's bigger than our problems. It transcends. He transcends all of that. Let me give you several implications that we can take from this passage this morning. Number one, Christian contentment. It does not come naturally. It doesn't come naturally. Paul talks, he says, it's learned. I learned. I have learned in whatever situation. Learned there, it means to increase one's knowledge or to learn by use or practice. In other words, Paul said, I didn't wake up this morning and learn to be content. You're not going to wake up this morning and learn to be content. No, Paul says, I've learned this through practice and through use. So if you, Paul had learned this through practice and use, that leads us to our second point. Christian contentment is situational. It's situational. Paul says, uh, uh, I've learned in through this in whatever situation. Well, whatever means whatever. It means in the good situations, in the bad situations. But what Paul says is, listen, I have learned this. Through practice, I've learned this through use. I've learned this through being in those situations and circumstances. I've learned this through having these problems and these issues. Think about it. Paul was in prison multiple times. Paul was stoned and left for dead. Paul was involved in riot after riot. It was either riot or revival when Paul was around. Paul was shipwrecked. Paul was beaten. Think about the stress of caring for all the churches that Paul dealt with on a daily basis. Paul's feet had been put to the fire and he had learned to be contentment through those situations and those circumstances. 
It wasn't just something Paul woke up and said, you know what, I'm going to be content. I'm going to be content. No, it wasn't that. So you think about our problems. Our problems will teach us to be content. We'll learn through our situations. Our trials and our tribulations will teach us to be content. In our times of need, we'll learn to be content. In our times of affliction, we'll learn to be content. In our times of uncertainty, church, we learn to be content. Notice what he says in verse 12. Paul gives some examples here in verse 12. He says, I know how to be brought low. Brought low there, it means to be abased. It means to run low. The word picture here is of a river in a time of drought. The water is low. There's very little water in that river. That river is basically good for nothing. Paul says, I understand how to be content in those moments that I have been brought low. I'm like that river in the time of drought. When there's very little nourishment there for me. He goes on to say, and I know how to abound. To know there, it means Paul has experienced these things. He's experienced these situations, so he knows how to abound. To abound means to overflow. Just think about that river. In the time of the spring rains, as the banks of that river overflow. So Paul understood how to be content in those situations as well. In other words, Paul didn't say, oh, I want more. This abounding is good. I want more. No, Paul was content in the abounding that God had given him. He was content in those moments. Paul didn't seek more. He was thankful for what he had in those moments. He goes on and he says, plenty In any and every circumstance, again, there it is, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty. Plenty there means being filled, it's well fed, to fill or to satisfy. He says hunger, hunger, listen, it's self-explanatory. Paul knew contentment in the face of plenty. He also knew contentment in the face of hunger and abundance. Abundance and overflowing again. Abundance and also in a time of need. Paul understood in all these circumstances. He's just given us a, a list of the circumstances that Paul himself had faced. And in the midst of those circumstances, Paul had learned to be content. But he had to face the circumstances before he would learn to be content. I would argue that. It's much easier for us to be content in times of need and hunger than it is in times of plenty and abundance. Think about it. In times of need, in times of hunger, and in those times when we find ourselves flat on our back, the only place we can look is where? Up. But in those moments of contentment, those moments of abundance, those moments of plenty, oftentimes, instead of being content with what we have... We want more. We want more. I want the newest and latest cell phone. My cell phone, my my, my iPhone 4 is working just fine. I don't even know what I, iPhone 4 is. That's like a, that was like 100 years ago. But I want the iPhone 12 because, man, it'll be so much better. It'll be, so, it'll be greater. We, we, we have a tendency not to be as content in times of plenty and abundance. But Paul understood that, listen, God has provided in both of these things. God has given me all these things that I need in plenty and abundance and hunger and all those other things. A third implication here is that Christian contentment is a life 
lifelong battle. It's a lifelong battle. The, the thing about this, the, we, we know what it is to be brought low. Paul knew what it was to be brought low. We know what it is to abound. We know what it is to have plenty and to be in need. The real question this morning is this. Do we know how to handle these situations? Paul understood how to handle these situations. Do we know how to face hunger without panic? Do we know how to face sickness and disappointments? Do we know how to handle when everyone does not get a trophy? Do we know how to handle success? Do we know how to handle applause? Do we know how to handle those moments of abundance? Do we know how to handle those moments of plenty? So it's not just about the situations that we find ourselves in. We know that we're in those situations. We know what it is to be in those situations. The real question, again, we have to ask ourselves is how do I handle this situation? Well, for Paul, it's all based on his relationship. Relationship. A fourth implication. Christian contentment frees us to enjoy the good things God has for us. You might be saying to me, you might be thinking to yourself, well, what about that bad diagnosis that I got at the doctor? How in the world can I enjoy that? How in the world can I enjoy that death in my family? How, can, how in the world can I enjoy those situations? Because we can enjoy those Christian, Christian contentment in those situations because we know that God is in control of that situation just like He's in control of all the others. And there is a lesson that we are going to learn through that journey. So it frees us to enjoy the good things of God. Number five, Christian contentment shows we love God and that we believe and trust that he is has our best interest in mind. When we have true contentment, then we tell God, Lord, I trust you. I trust you, Lord. I trust you in the high times. I trust you in the low times. And all those other things. When Paul was hailed enthusiastically upon his return to the church as he planted, he was content. When Paul was chained to a particular impatient and unsympathetic Roman soldier, Paul was content. When he was leading a runaway slave to Christ, Paul was content. When he was preaching to the king, Paul was content. When he was writing a theological masterpiece, Paul was content. When he was waiting to appear before the court that could sentence him to death, Paul was content. When Paul was being stoned and left for dead, Paul was content. When Paul had that thorn in his side that, he, that God wouldn't remove, Paul was content. Why? Because the secret was his relationship with Jesus Christ. That was Paul's secret. That was the secret he talks about in this passage Writing to his spiritual son Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 8, Paul says this, But if, you, if we have, have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Various situations and circumstances are a reality in all of our lives. We're going to face those situations and we're going to face those things. But if not handled properly, we will reach, an, we will reach for alternatives 
And some of those alternatives that you and I might reach for to handle these situations and circumstances can be deadly, have deadly consequences. The solution is to only rest in the, the one that transcends all of our problems, and that is Jesus Christ. So that leads us to our final point this morning. To have true Christian contentment, we must understand, number three, that true contentment is available only, only through divine power. Look at verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul says, I can do all things through, who's the him? Through Christ. It's through Christ who, in fact, this strengthens me. This is one of those verses that you can put as a life verse. In fact, this is one of my favorite verses. That in Psalm 37, 4, which says, Delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. This is one of my life verses. If there was any question about Paul bragging about all these other things that he'd found contentment in, this would set the record straight. He says, I can do all things. I can, the only thing, only, I can do only the things that I can do, I can do through the power that rests within me, and that power is through Christ Jesus Himself. Paul wanted everyone to know this was the secret he talked about in the previous verse. In all these things, in his abundance, in his need, in his plenty, in his hunger, in being brought low and being abound. In all of these things, his true contentment came from that divine power that lived inside of the Apostle Paul. And may I remind you this morning, if you are a child of God, you have that same divine power. We have the same power living within us. I have the power, Paul would say. I have the power. I can do. It means to be strong. It means to have power. It means to have resources. So in other words, Paul says, I have the power to endure the beatings. I have the power to be, endure being ridiculed. I have the power to endure those sufferings. I have the power to accept the diagnosis that I've been given. I have the power to accept that job loss. I have the power to accept the gracious bounty that God has given me. Why? The strength that comes directly from God Himself. The used here, I can do, it suggests strength in spirit. It's like a marathon runner that has reached the point of exhaustion. Once that marathon runner hits that, what they call the proverbial wall, the runner's only chance to continue is to call on that inner strength that only strengthens when they reach that limit. It's that strength of, space, uh, strength of spirit. Now, this verse has been taken out of context over and over and over and over again. This is not a promise that Christians will have superpowers. You can't go jump off a bridge and expect to do all things in Christ. I don't advise that because you'll hit the bottom. And you'll probably see Christ. That very moment. Remember, this is strength of spirit. It's the spirit that you and I have within us to endure the beatings, to endure the ridicule, to endure all those things that we're going to face, to face the plenty, to face being abound and all those other things. The point is this, when we do face these challenges, we will have strength from the Lord to faithfully endure the difficulties that arise in our lives. It's a divine power. It's a power that found only in 
Christ. The passage is not talking about, there's not a prosperity gospel in this passage. In other words, if we're only faithful, God will give us financial abundance. So it's not a prosperity gospel kind of thing. It's speaking of the spirit that we get, the strength that we get to endure the sufferings that we're going to face, to endure the situations that you and I faced. Because we have been given the strength of Christ. One commentator says this, A Christian finds satisfaction in every circumstance by getting strength from another, by going out of himself to Jesus Christ, by his faith, acting upon Christ, and bringing the strength of Jesus Christ into his own soul. He is thereby unable to bear witness whatever God lays on him by the strength he finds from Jesus Christ. There is a strength in Christ not only to sanctify and save us, but strength to support us under all our burdens and afflictions. And Christ expects that when we are under any burden, we should act our faith upon Him to draw virtue and strength from Him. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Christ. It's all about our relationship with Him. Isaiah writes this. He said, He gives power to the faint. And to him who has might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and, and young men shall fall, fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So here's your application for that this morning. Our power comes not from our own strength, but from the one living within us. And the true child of God can count on the divine power of the divine to sustain us no matter what our situation and no matter what our circumstance might be. Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs, in his book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, he defines spiritual contentment this way as we close. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet Gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God, wise, God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. It's all about Christ. It's all about our relationship with Christ. This type of contentment only comes from God. So if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you don't have the availability of this type of contentment. This type of contentment only comes in a relationship with Jesus. It only comes in a relationship with Christ. But I tell you this morning, there's access to that. Romans 10, 9 says this, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that what? God raised Him from the dead, you will what? You will be saved. And you that are immediately saved, you will receive that very power that gives you the opportunity to have that same contentment. Listen, those of us who are followers of Christ have. If you're a Christian here this morning, listen, you have the source of that true contentment living within you. It's inside your heart. It's in your heart. It's Jesus Christ. It's your relationship with Christ. Man, I beat myself up over and over every day. Why in the world did I not live with this true contentment? Why in the world do my situations and my circumstances affect me so much? Why am I not resting in the contentment that a relationship with Jesus Christ provides? Why am I not living a life 
sold out service to my Savior. So this morning, I don't know where you are. I don't know what your relationship with Jesus is. Maybe you haven't accepted Christ as personal Lord and Savior. You can take care of that today. Just cry out to Him. Confess. Confess. That means you confess that, God, you know, I agree with you. I am a sinner. Believe in your heart that God, Jesus is the Son of God, and He raised Him from the dead. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9 through 10, you will be saved. Maybe that's you this morning. I don't know. Maybe you're here and you're a Christian. You're just, you're just not living with that kind of contentment, that divine power that lives within you. You're not, you're not taking advantage of that. You can change that today as well. Maybe you just want to come and pray at the altar. Maybe you want to become a member of our church. I don't know what you need this morning. God knows. And I pray that each and every one of you do what God has asked you to do today. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening today. We hope the word preached today would be used by God mightily as you go about your week. Again, if you would like more information about our church or would like more digital content, please feel free to check us out on the web at southsidenp.org. Have a blessed day and may God grant you grace this week to grow more into the likeness of Jesus. Thank you.